Let's go to the Lord together. Father, we come now to the preaching of your word. And Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to see the truth of your word. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Father, we take refuge in your son, Jesus Christ, the only possible way of salvation. Father, we depend upon your word where truth lies. We thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of telling us about yourself, about our great need of salvation, and about your glorious Son, Jesus. Father, I pray that we will see him in the text this morning. I pray that you will open our hearts to him this morning. Father, may our lives reflect Him this morning, and may we proclaim Jesus this morning. Father, as you do it for us, I pray that you'll do it for the uh, Akoka people in China. Father, over 300,000 people who are lost. Father, they need missionaries among that people group. They need your word to tell them of the great news and the refuge that Jesus is. Father, send your people among the Akoka people. Father, I I pray that you will break their bondage to the demonic power over their false religion. Father, I pray that you will help them to see the truth of your word. May they have the gift of reading your word in their own language, I pray, Lord. Father, we also lift up Pastor Roy Garza of Pillar Church, 29 Palms. Moving out there several months ago to plant a church there. I pray that they will reach the Marines who are stationed there. I pray that they will minister to the families. That many will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through that new church. Father, I pray for Pastor Roy and his family. I pray that you will sustain them, that you will encourage them, that they will truly understand and know and experience the joy of Jesus Christ as they minister to those around them. Father, we also lift up Pastor Vijay. We pray that where he's at, that you will strengthen him this morning, that you will be with him and his family, that his ministry will be fruitful that many brothers will be trained in the gospel and they will preach your word the way it's intended and that it will not fall on deaf ears. You say your word will not return void. We pray, Father, for the strengthening of our brothers through that ministry. Lord, we thank you and we love you for all these things. Lord, we thank you for Vincy and Elizabeth and the joy that you've given them this morning, a new life for them to care, to love, and to minister to, to teach, and to grow. Father, we pray for those in our fellowship who are sick. We pray that you will heal them. Father, those in our county who are without power, I pray that you will give them the warmth that they need, the physical warmth that they need. Show us how we can help as a body. Lord, most of all, may your gospel go forth, not only from this pulpit this morning, but from all the pulpits in King George County. May all your preachers this morning be Christ-centered and honoring to you, and may it not fall on deaf ears. 
May Jesus be worshipped in our community this morning. May you save many more among us. Father, be with us now. It's in your name. Amen. In your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll be looking at verses 5 through 15. And as we said before, please raise your hand if you need a Bible, if you need a copy. And we will get you a copy of one. And if you do not own a Bible, please keep it as our gift to you. It's page 811 in the church Bible. This is our second look at this passage this morning as we finish up our two-part series on the importance of prayer. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian life. It is important This morning, if you were to think of all the important things in your life, where does prayer fit in? Is it first in priority? Is it second? Or has other things taken precedence over prayer? Does it get pushed aside many days? Do you live out what you believe about prayer? Has this prayer week this past week helped you to see your need for prayer and to pray more regularly? Please listen to some quotes on prayer from those who have gone before us. Jonathan Edwards once said, There is no way that Christians in a private capacity can do so much to promote the work of God and advance the kingdom of Christ as by prayer. That is why we want to be a praying church here at Redeemer Church. That's why we don't want to do anything under our own strength, but we want to move by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God in our prayers. Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And he's also known to have said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Martin Luther lived out what he believed about prayer. Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher who lived in the 17th century, once said, Do we think walking with God can do us any hurt? Did we ever hear any cry out on their deathbed that they've been too holy, or that they've prayed too much, or walked with God too much? No, that which has cut them to the heart has been this, that they have not walked more closely with God. They have wrung their head and torn their hair to think that they have been so bewitched by the pleasures of this world. Close walking with God will make our enemy, which is death, be at peace with us. Tim Keller, a pastor in our day, has said, the power of our prayers lies primarily not in our effort and striving or in any technique, but rather in our knowledge of God. So what influences your prayers this morning? Elizabeth Elliot, a missionary in the 20th century, wrote, I realize that the deepest spiritual lessons are not learned by God letting us have our own way in the end, but by his making us wait, bearing with us in love and patience until we are able to honestly pray what he taught his disciples to pray. Thy will be done. 
Is this how you see prayer this morning? Is this what you believe prayer to be like? At the start of this new year, we have an opportunity to renew our prayer life and to see it as a crucial part of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. A crucial part of God's grace working in our life and through our life and in our church. My hope through this two-part series is that there builds within you a desire to pray and pray more earnestly and to pray more often in every area of your life for your family, for our church, for your neighbors and those around you. Where prayer at home becomes a central part when your family gathers with God being at the center of your family. Prayer between spouses, strengthening your marriage so the gospel is lived out and demonstrated between husband and wife. Prayer in the family, providing opportunity for the gospel to be heard by unsaved loved ones. Prayer in our worship services, proclaiming the supremacy of Christ in our church and our complete dependency on God to work in us and to impact lives around us. Prayer in our home group, teaching our dependence on God to sanctify us as a body of believers. Prayer at work for your co-workers, hopefully with your co-workers, giving the world a taste of the sweet fellowship that we have with our Savior. In our personal daily prayers, revealing that it's not about the outcome of our situations, it's about what God does in our situations. Each of these prayers can miss the mark if we focus only on the here and now, the temporary situations that we face. Everything you and I encounter is an opportunity to demonstrate and to show the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ, where all that's experienced in this life fades away with His sweet, with His precious, with His joyful presence in our lives. Last week, we spent most of our time in Matthew 6, looking at verses 5 through 8, where Jesus taught us that when we pray, we are to be careful in how we approach God and to do it in reverence, seeking His will and not our own. That prayer is a special time to commune with God and receive spiritual blessing from Him. How we pray is with God on our minds. Knowing then how we are to pray, today we're going to look at who we pray to and what we are to pray for. It's not enough to simply know how to pray, to be in the same manner as Christ when we pray. We need to understand who God is. And if we're to have a healthy, strong prayer life in our church, we need to know what Jesus intends for us to follow. So in your Bibles, let's read Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, to see that when we pray, we are to recognize God's supremacy in all things and express our need for Him alone. Please stand with me as I read.
And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Please be seated. The grass wither, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. There may be six, maybe seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, depending on how you understand verse 13. But the number of the requests that's in what's known as the Lord's Prayer is not important. What's crucial is recognizing the order of the request and the content of what they say. Verses 9 through 10 have the first three, and they have God and His glory in view. They are only concerned about God and His supreme worth in His creation. Verses 11 through 13 have the other three requests. And they help us to turn to God for help, for mercy, and for protection. When we focus on God first, we then receive His unending care and His forgiveness and His love. Not only is the order of the requests important, but notice that half the prayer is focused on God and not on us. What a model to follow. I need this reminder this morning. Oftentimes when I go to God in prayer, my thoughts are already turning to what I need, what I need to have, what I think I need, and not on my greatest need, which is to see God and to have His glory filling me. Before we look at the petitions, please look with me at verse 9, where Jesus says, Pray then like this, our Father. Before we get into those things that you and I are to pray for, Jesus tells us to regularly call out to the sovereign God of the universe, the great and only God, and regularly pray to Him and call Him our Father. God is not just the most supreme being in the universe who deserves our honor, who deserves our respect and obedience, who's completely beyond us, beyond understanding. He is a father who dearly loves his children. When we approach God with deep respect and awe, like we learned last week, we pray to our Father. In Romans 8.15, Paul tells us that God adopts believers. 
and he is Abba, Father. He said, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has granted followers of Jesus Christ the full rights and privileges of being in his family. Because of your and my sinful nature, we don't naturally belong with God. But for those who have received his grace, God has adopted them into his family, and we now call him Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic. Aramaic. It's a term of endearment. It's a name that describes a warm, deep relationship with the Father. When we pray, we come to rest in a Father's love. This work of God's grace in a person's life is only possible because of Jesus Christ. When Christ came and lived a life of obedience and then sacrificed Himself on the cross, the only true Son to the Father paid the immeasurable price for our adoption to make us sons and daughters of God. He died so that you and I can live in God's family. When we confess our sins and we trust in Jesus for salvation, we now call on God as our Father because of Christ and what He's done in our place. Through Christ's atonement, God has brought His children into His family and now made us His own. All who repent and trust in Jesus now in Christ say, Our Father when we pray. Now there are some in this world who pray to their ancestors or they pray to the saints. Some pray to false gods. Others pray to things in creation. But Jesus teaches us that believers and only believers can truly pray and God hears them. Those of us who have Christ get to call God our Father and pray to Him And he hears us. Because of Christ, I don't pray to a judge who condemns me. He's not a tyrant who abuses his people. By God's grace, God takes sinners and causes them to repent of their sin. And he accepts them as children. And God is a father who's helping his children to grow strong and to flourish in his holiness. God in His glory is the greatest worth in the world. And God says, in essence, to His children, Come. Come and experience my glory. Come and be a part of it. Come and be full of my holiness. That is what is going on when we pray. Now while we say to God in verse 9, Our Father... At the same time, we recognize His infinite greatness. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father in heaven. Here we see that God comes close to us as a Father, yet He's high above us in importance and in worth. He's greater than everything else in His creation. 
His greatness cannot be measured. His worth cannot be fully described. It is he who has the world and all who are in it in the palm of his hand. And what happens is his doing. He's the one who is sovereign. He's the one who's in control. His might and power is like no other. His love and mercy, they have no end. His purity and his righteousness, his righteousness is brighter than the sun. He knows all things. He sees all things. He purposes and determines all things. There is no one like God. We pray our Father in heaven. We on earth who are in Christ call to God and He hears us, but He is above us. Don't miss the balance in this prayer. There's close intimacy. There's a relationship with God as a Father. And there's also the highest respect for God at the same time. Don't miss that balance. Picture God high up on His throne, surrounded by angels worshiping Him. And He's inviting you to come to Him to receive His blessing. This is what praying does. This kind of awestruck, welcoming prayer for the purpose of heartfelt love and fellowship from the One who's infinitely glorious and who is personally for you. At the end of verse 9, Jesus then says, the first request is for God our Father in heaven to be magnified above all things. God is to be hallowed in this world. The same word is translated sometimes as sanctified in other places. Here, in this passage, it means to be hallowed means to be made known, to be revered, to be admired and glorified. Our Father in heaven is to be treasured above all things. The supreme worth of God is the highest and most important aspect of this life. It's first in this prayer for a reason. We are asking God to cause His name to be made known and to be glorified. And that is the utmost importance in the world. God's name is everything about who God is. And His name being hallowed is the first request in this prayer. Before we turn to our needs, the glory of God is of paramount importance that we should desire. Now this doesn't mean what we're facing, that we are to ignore it. But it does mean, no matter what we're facing, how desperate we think our situation is, God and His glory is paramount. It comes first before anything else. But please hear me this morning. I'm not separating your needs this morning. I'm not telling us to ignore what we need to have. God knows what you need before you ask Him. He said that in verse 8. What he knows that we need, though, is his glory first. That is the utmost first thing you and I need this morning. So Jesus models that. And we are to ask God to be honored above all things. 
The rest of the Lord's Prayer is then how God is hallowed or revered in our lives. By asking His kingdom coming, we His people are saying, Yes, come Lord, come and reign over us. By Him accomplishing His purposes in our lives, by Him giving us what we need, thereby showing that only He lavishly provides for us. By Him forgiving sin and making us holy, delivering us from evil, He is magnified when we see Him in our prayers this way, when we hollow Him, when we revere Him first and foremost. God gives us this gift of prayer to be in His glory. The second request is seen in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does God's kingdom come if he already reigns supreme as the king of kings? If he's the king of the universe, why are we praying for him to come? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered why, if he is the king of kings, why then does Jesus model this for us? Your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom to pray for in this prayer is an unrivaled kingdom. It's one that has no competitors in your heart. He is majestic. God rules from on high. But there are people, there are nations, there are rulers, there are spiritual forces, there are temptations in this world that all fight against God. God's kingdom... When we pray, your kingdom come, rule in our hearts, pull everything else aside, and only you reign in my life, where the splendor of your majesty is beautiful to me. There's nothing else that captures me. That is what Jesus is modeling for us. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Rule in my life. Jesus continues, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, accomplish all that you have purposed to happen in this life and in my life. God's will is perfectly accomplished in heaven. His glorious presence is displayed for all its fullness in heaven. There's nothing that hinders it. The angels bow. They worship Him. They obey His commands without question. His divinity is shown clearly and radiantly. There is perfect harmony in heaven because of God's will. This prayer that Jesus models asks God to be adored and worshipped here on earth just like that. It's us asking God to complete His sovereign plan on this earth that He has purposed to do for Him to accomplish His will. We approach God our Father because of Christ. We honor Him in His glory. His name is great and deserving of worship. But we immediately recognize that His name is not honored in all of the world. And our desires as followers of Jesus Christ is for God to reign in every heart, 
for all to repent and to believe in Jesus, for there to be no rivals, no other kingdoms. God alone reign and he accomplish his will like it's in heaven. Now we're halfway through the Lord's Prayer so far, and it's focused on God accomplishing his plan. His sovereign plan, his plan of redemption, having the full presence of his glory filling the whole earth. And that's half the prayer. Half the prayer Jesus models is for God and God alone to reign. Now we've come to the last three petitions. Please look with me at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Our prayers reveal that it's God who provides for us. No one else cares for us like God. No one else can do it like God. Our entire dependence is on God to give us our daily needs. We are needful both in our souls and in our bodies. This is spiritual and this is here tangible requests. We are needful people and God has promised to provide for us and he will do it. Because of his goodness, when we pray to him, he freely gives to us. We don't have to barter with God. He doesn't sell anything to us. He has willingly bound himself to his word. And he's made a covenant with us. And he freely gives. He promises and he fulfills. His covenant love is seen and experienced in our prayers. We call on God who's faithful, who is steadfast, and who is always caring for his people. Praying for our daily bread includes all of life's necessities. It's not just praying for flour and dough. This is all of life's necessities. Jesus models, go to God, your Father, who's great, and he will provide. Some think that praying for material needs is a worldly focus. As if God is not interested in the physical side of life, so we shouldn't be either. But when we turn to God for our material needs, we express the truth that we cannot sustain ourselves in anything, spiritually or physically. When we go to God and we say, give us our daily bread, it denies our self-sufficiency. Our dependency honors God. But notice this is one out of six requests. Only one that mentions temporal things. How much I hope you see this this morning. Jesus included this in his prayer because God provides abundantly for us when we ask. But the majority of the Lord's prayer is focused on God and his glory for him to forgive us and to keep us safe from evil. For sure, when we go to God and we ask him, we can do it without guilt or shame. He is willing to provide. He helps us. He guides us. He gives us what we need. But how many of us have this lopsided when we pray? I know I should spend more time focused on God when I pray and less on myself. 
I need to see Him as my greatest need. And I know we all do. We ask God to help us in our lives. And in verse 12, Jesus tells us to ask for mercy. Only God in His mercy can forgive our sin. Our sin has us in debt to God. And we should give Him honor and praise. We should give Him our full obedience. And we don't. We get caught up in this world and we lose sight of Him. We add to our sin all the time. And there's no way for us to pay this debt. It's too great for us. Yet God, who's a merciful and gracious God, He's a God who forgives repentant sinners. He's a God who saves sinners by His grace through His Son. And as they turn to Him continually repenting, He freely gives His mercy and His grace. The wrath pointed at you was poured out on Christ and God forgives your sin, past, present, and future, because Jesus has paid this unpayable debt. We pray to a God who's compassionate towards repentant sinners. He gives us grace that we don't deserve. We repent of our sin. God treats us as if we're not guilty. And we ask Him through faith in Jesus to remove this debt. And He remembers His covenant love. He looks to His Son and what His Son has accomplished for us. And He forgives us. And He makes us clean. He makes us righteous. He purifies us and He transforms us into the likeness of His Son. How great and worthy our God is. This is why we turn to Him first. How glorious our God is. He can do what you cannot do. Now look with me at verse 13. Jesus tells us to ask God to protect us by leading us out of temptation and delivering us from evil, or rather the evil one. God is the most powerful being. He has conquered evil. Through the cross, He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He's overcome the devil. He has conquered Evil is an enemy, but it's a defeated enemy. And we, God's children, we don't face evil alone. God is not a God who saves you and then leaves you by yourself. He doesn't leave us by ourselves. We are tempted in our own weakness by the evils of this world and in our heart. And when we pray to God, He leads us by the Holy Spirit, guiding us and delivering us from that evil. We pray to God who delivers. He's able to save us from our sin that arises within us and the attacks from the devil. This is who we pray to. Our prayers proclaim the saving grace of God, and this is what our prayers are ultimately designed to do. Even when we ask of things, even when we think we need these things, it's really showing how awesome and glorious God is. 
Then in verse 14 through 15, Jesus says that anyone who's been forgiven of their sin will have a change of mind. They will look at things differently. They will treat people differently. God's mercy and patience will become central to the believer's new lifestyle. Forgiving others will be part of who we are. And if God has forgiven you of your sin, you've experienced His cleansing grace, then you will forgive others as you have been forgiven. Now what should be clear in this passage is the greatest desire of the people of God goes beyond deliverance of the surrounding enemies and for the daily provision of needs as real, as serious as those are, as truthful as we can go to God with those things. It stretches beyond all that to the fulfillment of the greatest promise of God. He has promised to bring us into the fullness of His glory. He has promised to bring us into His presence. And through our prayers, God reminds us and He fills us with His presence. And He prepares us for that great day. In Jesus' lesson on prayer, He teaches us who we're praying to. We pray to an infinitely glorious God who deserves all the honor. And we depend on this glorious God as a loving father towards his children, the care of a father towards his precious ones. We pray that he's worshiped for his glory and we turn to him for his provision. And our father hears our prayers and in his abundant goodness, he provides. He provides most of all by turning our attention away from this world and helping the eyes of our heart to see Him for who He really is. Now, in order to pray to our Father like this, you need to remember four truths. Number one, only those who repent of their sin can pray this way. Only by God's grace can you recognize that your sins have trapped you and you need rescue. Those who receive His grace are the only ones who can turn to God and say, Our Father, I need help. I need your mercy. I need your protection. Next, you need to have margins in your life to regularly pray this way. If you are so busy from the time you get up till the time you go to sleep, it doesn't matter how much you believe this about prayer to be true. It just doesn't happen. There's no time to pray. Many in God's church are weak and dissatisfied because they have not taken the time to regularly pray. So you don't pray. I don't want this to be any one of us in our church. I don't want anyone to be weakened because they have not experienced for themselves the glory of God and experiencing how He provides. That strengthens you in your Christian walk. You need to make time to focus on God, to pray and to have Him speak to you in your prayers. We all should have margins in our lives Spending time centering our thoughts, not on our needs, what we think we need, but depending on God for His mercy and His grace and His goodness. 
I hope your prayer life is of value to you and you have margins. And if not, commit today to create those margins in your life so you can pray. Number three, as you make time to pray, spend the beginning of your prayers focused on God. Pray to see Him more, not with your eyes, but in your heart. Ask God to reveal more of Himself to you, for His glory to overtake you and to turn your attention away from lesser things and to experience Him, to be captivated by Him. I promise you, your heart will be full. It will be full and at peace no matter what situation you're in when you see God this way. Read some scripture that will help. See God's attributes all over the the pages of scripture. Scripture helps you when you pray and will help keep your thoughts from wandering. God will tell you more about himself in his own word. Lastly, when you pray, remove all self-confidence and set aside any agenda that you may have. If you're sitting here this morning trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then God is for you. He's on your side. He has come to live in you. He's that close to you. He knows what you need before you even ask Him. And He will give to you abundantly. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about those things that are facing you. God is for you. You don't have to worry about those people who don't like you or what may come against you. God is for you. Trust in His providence. Rest in His grace. Nothing catches God off guard. Your trust for salvation involves God's watchful eye for you and your security in Him. The less you trust in yourself, the less you trust in your ability, the more you will be lifted up and the stronger you will become as a child of God. God will replace your worry and doubt with assurance and unshakable joy. This is my prayer for you in the rest of this year. That Redeemer Church will embrace these four truths and we will earnestly seek God in our prayer and we'll do it regularly, not just on Sunday mornings, but in our families and in our daily lives. We will earnestly pray to Him. That we'll pray and live this out and our church will flourish because of it. Your life will flourish because of it. Your family will be strengthened and God will impact our community through our prayers. Let's pray.